Mondays. It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. Uh, I am so excited today to talk to Tara Stubbins, who is a serial entrepreneur, passionate about company culture. She has uh, continues uh, has and continues to found um, human-powered organizations that serve other people very much uh, interested in her journey and the culture, uh, the the way that culture has come to become uh, something really important to her. She started out not being interested in processes and applying these, applying some of these structures that help organizations, and she's turned it around. She has a uh, changed her point of view. Tara, it's amazing to see you. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat today. So you are you run a couple businesses right now, um, and the way I the way I framed it here up at the top is that they're like human powered or human service oriented. Um, tell me a little bit about that kind of passion that you have for helping other people. How that's kind of informed where you've driven your own career. Yeah. Can I tell my big aha moment? We didn't talk about it in the pre-interview, but I feel like everyone. Yeah, loves absolutely. This story. The, the when culture became important to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's not necessarily when culture became important, but it's when I realized that I was on the right path. Ah, so um, I um, I was a celebrity assistant for many years. Uh, well over a decade, and I was touring the world with these, you know, big bands, big names performers. And one of the um, performers that I supported, one of the big rock stars, had a thing where he wanted his toothbrush to be sanitized in a hotel dishwasher every time it traveled. So every time it came out of the suitcase, he wanted this toothbrush to be sanitized. And I thought, always about kind of cheating the system and not doing it, but I was really scared to get caught. So I always went down and asked the hotel staff if I could sanitize this toothbrush. <laughs> so there was this one moment where oh. I was in Shanghai in this yeah. amazing, beautiful hotel, trying to communicate to the kitchen staff. Um, I didn't speak their language, I only speak English, uh, that I had to put this toothbrush in the dishwasher. And they were looking at me like I had three heads. And uh, there I was just standing there with this toothbrush. And there was this moment where I thought, there's got to be more to life than this. <laughs> and it was kind of my realization that I absolutely love helping people. I've always said I've been put on this planet to help others succeed. And I yep. just wanted to help more than one crazy rock star sanitize his toothbrush every single day. So yep. I came off the road and I opened up my first business um, a couple of months actually after that. 
Wow. So, and did you ever have to do the M&M thing where you had to remove the certain color M&M from the M&M jars? We didn't have to do the M&Ms. I didn't work for Van Halen, but we had to do crazy things like paint hotel rooms and oh my get God. very specific Pop-Tarts and all of these, uh, you know, the things Crazy. that you hear on the news. All right. Yes. So that's your former life. That's how you were thrust in. That so was my former life. Yeah. <laughs> so now you've sort of scaled. Uh, it's almost as if you're trying to scale your ability to help other people with your current business. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you got into or what your current business is, what you're doing. And uh, then we can talk about how you're running it. Uh, what yeah. What pieces of the culture are really succeeding for you? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to your first question of like why culture and why people um, are so important to me and kind of how I bridged the gap between me wanting to help people and having everybody on my team help people as yeah. well. Yeah. So um, I was, as I said, very passionate about helping others, but I had zero business background at all. I got, I went from being like a dirty roadie into creating this business. And for me, as you mentioned at the top, I did not want processes, procedures. I didn't want anything. I, mm. I know I needed help. I couldn't scale my business on my own. So I had to bring in a team, but I wanted to just throw them out into the mix and have them, you know, sink or swim and we'll just figure it out as we go along. Obviously, that didn't work very well. And I learned very quickly in my first business and now my current business. I tried it again in my current business as well. Um, uh, that, you know, you can't just throw people into uh, the water, sink or swim uh, with no processes and procedures. That being said, um, I did come kind of had a little stint in the middle uh, working for a very large not-for-profit organization. And they had a culture where they would force the culture onto all of their staff. It was mm -hmm. almost like a cult-like following that they wanted to kind of create in this organization. Hmm. And I came from this world of like, you know, free love, rock and roll, no policies <laughs> the and opposite. procedures. You went to the yes. opposite end of the spectrum. Yes. And I was so terrified and I had no idea what was going on. Um, you know, they would for they would have these massive town halls where they would force everyone to do um, you know, uh like icebreaker activities and get up on this stage and talk about you know your previous histories and things like that and that is great for some people but I think big leaders of organizations forget that you know there are introverts out there in the world that don't yes. want to do yes. that everyone is different and us as leaders trying to force our beliefs so me trying to force my no policies no procedures um, or the complete opposite of like, you must follow this culture to a T is not mm. going to work for anyone. So mm. I kind of took both of those learnings and have been trying, obviously, as I go along to kind of create the perfect balance in the middle. Great. Okay. So now you've, you're, you're running uh, a business of executive assistance. What, tell me how you decided that that was where you wanted to head and how you started to build that. 
Yeah. So again, wanted to help as many people as I possibly could. And I had kind of a personal assistant background, personal kind of executive sure. assistant background. Sure, sure. Um, and I noticed pre-pandemic that, you know, the tech world, the startup world was growing really fast and needed that very strategic support to be able to grow quickly and more sustainably. So a lot of, you know, startups were um, helping out there or getting like their family to be their assistant or, you know, very cheap labor overseas. And that's wonderful for very specific tasks. But if you need help growing and scaling exponentially and really that strategic support, it's just not there. So I saw that and wanted to be able to fix that again, be able to help as many people as I possibly can. And in my opinion, startups are the ones who are changing the world. So not necessarily these crazy not for profits, but I think they are definitely, but not the crazy one that I was with. Um, (laughs) Broadly speaking. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But these startups are changing the world. And I had like this other aha moment where um, I was, Uh, you know, as I said, I came off the road, I opened up my first business, and I had no business background. And I was craving that community to be able to talk to be able Mm -hmm. to bounce ideas off of. And it was before like co working spaces or anything like that. And I remember when the first co working space opened up, I was the second to join, I joined in all the events, I volunteered at the front desk. And all my friends became these like amazing founders and startups. And that's Mm. when I could see that there was this kind of level that they could get to of success and they couldn't get over that hump by themselves. Mm. So started um, the company of executive assistants so we could really help scale and grow these amazing startups. All right. So that's, that's how you kind of got there. And when you, now you're coming in with this, this kind of experience of, no rules, which you tried to apply here. And you had, because then you also had that experience of all the rules, all the cultures forced on you. So what happened at, when you started your business? What was that? You, you said before we started recording, you were talking about uh, a, fa- a failure that sort of brought you kind of to where you are today. Can you share that story? Yeah, so it was like the bigger picture failure of um, the nonprofit that I saw Uh um, forcing these um, bigger culture or forcing their big culture onto absolutely everyone on their team. Okay. Um, That being said, we had, um, I've had a couple of failures or don't, haven't we all in our, as we build our companies, Um, (laughs) but uh, culturally speaking in our organization, as we've uh, built and grown. So startups, like I know any big organization, um, they want to move as quickly as possible. And for us, we were constantly thinking of profits and the bottom line. So we would bring in clients really quickly And then we would have to hire really quickly to help to have the people in place for these clients. And we were making hiring decisions that were 
horrible. But we, again, we're just thinking of the bottom line. Let's bring in this, you know, random person that we've met for 30 minutes and we'll figure it out as we go along. Again, another kind of sink or swim moment. Um, and we realized that that didn't work for anyone. It didn't work for the clients. We lost them, um, you know, very shortly after. Yeah. We would lose the EAs. It would hurt our internal culture because people would see people coming and going so quickly. Um, so we had to pivot really, really fast and slow down our sales cycle, which mm. not a lot of organizations want to do. Yeah. You know, you're taught to bring in as many clients or sell as many goods as you possibly can. And that's as fast the fuel, as you can. right? That's the fuel. the fuel. Yeah. Yeah. But we had to, we had to slow it down so we could hire very intentionally um, and people, we wanted to hire not necessarily just people that um, had the skill set, but people that would fit into our organization and, and what we are trying to do. So people who are passionate about building businesses, people who want to see others succeed, not necessarily people who, you know, just kind of want to work from behind the scenes. That's not what we represent. Mm. So those people aren't necessarily the right people for our organization. And we learned that really quickly too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. So now what's interesting about the, you have a completely virtual business and you are bringing in, you have staff, but you also have to bring on board folks who are then going to represent your organization to their clients. Is there any, what type of um, process or onboarding or um, training do you provide to help these people that you are basically like, okay, little butterfly, go out in the world and do your thing the best that you can do, but also represent us, but also serve the other client, right? How do you manage? That's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. Um, and again, <laughs> it's all about hiring the right people. So it's about hiring those high performers um, that we found fits best within our organization. Not mm. necessarily every organization will fit high performers or an entire team of high performers. It's a lot of like egos to manage all at once that we yeah. have to learn how to manage. Yeah. Um, but again, I, when I first started, zero onboarding. I was like, here's your email, go at it. I trust yeah. your judgment. Yeah. Obviously, that's not the way to build a successful business. So we have really robust onboarding plans in place right now. We have um, you know, fake clients that we walk people through, like test clients that the new um, people who come on board have to go through this series of um, you know, test requests and things like that. That. Um, we do a lot of testing and, you know, beforehand, before we even sign the contracts with um, outside companies as well. So we can make sure that we're not just interviewing for skills, that it is really a good culture fit as well. Mm. Um, critical thinking is also massively important for us as an organization. So we do a lot of testing around that as well. Um, we also build a team of feedback. So um, we want to make sure that our EAs and HR professionals on our team are ones that feel empowered to not only speak up to the clients that they have, but also within our organization. So 
I don't want to be that leader that I had back at the not-for-profit who was coming up with these ideas in his head and mm -hmm. basically saying, this is what we're going to do as an organization. Mm -hmm. I wanted everyone to have a voice and not think that, you know, these big leaders up on their, you know, thrones are making all these decisions for the organization. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the team feels empowered within the organization, they are going to feel extremely empowered outside of the organization as well. That, yeah, that's great. So you're giving them the power, you're giving them that training, that responsibility. Um, how would, do you have a way of describing your culture at your business? Is there some kind of description or values that you lead with that you're able to articulate to potential EAs and probably, or hopefully, um, to your potential cl uh, clients, right? Because you're trying to make a case for why they should choose you. And uh, I wonder if being a human services, a human powered business, as we keep, I keep saying, um, that culture, right? Those behaviors, that's part of that. How do you describe your culture? How would you, how would you describe your culture to, to somebody who's interested in the business, either as a client or potential uh, candidate to be a, a, a EA? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. And EAs always ask us about our culture when we're interviewing. And Smart. one of our actual top um, selling points to clients is how we treat culture and slash our community mm. um, and take it easy. So actually, one of the two reasons, main reasons why I wanted to build this organization was as an executive assistant slash personal assistant myself, it is actually a very lonely place. Mm. Um, if you have HR professionals listening to this, they probably are in the same boat as well. Um, you know, you, you get to touch, even in big organizations, even in office, in person, you get to touch a lot of different aspects of like every aspect yes. of the organization, yep. but nobody really understands what you're going through. Sometimes you have a team that you can talk to, but as a leader in this space, it is really hard to have anyone understand what you're going through. You can also, you can talk, you know, to community groups in the HR space or the EREA space. Um, that they do understand, but if they don't know the ins and outs of your clients or, you know, day to day, it is kind of hard to articulate mm -hmm. what you're mm -hmm. going through. Yep. So I wanted to create this community where EAs, seasoned EAs, felt incredibly, one, empowered and two, supported um, with everything they were going through throughout the day where they could, you know, we have um, uh, internally, we have like a Slack channel called clients moans and groans, where we can complain about what these clients are doing every day um, to annoy us. And you know, fine, it happens, but you can get it out, people can laugh, and it's great. But we have created this community of, again, trust, where people feel that they are totally supported. So then mm. they can go out and be the best darn version of who they are. So they can really help their clients propel and succeed in what they are doing. We also talk a lot about a, a lot about grit in our organization. So mm. um, again, I talked about high performing culture. And that is something that I know is talked about a lot, but sure. it's something that we um, have found within our organization that, 
you know, as this kind of scrappy startup, very lean team helping multiple people. If you don't have that grit and drive to help others succeed like I did, you're not going to necessarily succeed as much um, within the organization as others with more grit. And our clients like to hear that as well, because they know that these EAs are going to be doing whatever it takes to um, help them build and grow their own companies. Right, right. Um, yeah, so that's, and they have to then also be aware of and create it. Do you, do you, were, you were talking earlier about actually um, running your potential, your clients uh, or the ones that come asking for the EA through a battery of questions or tests so that you can find is, is it to find that culture fit with your company or find the color, find the right EA to fit with them because you're hiring. Okay. So you're hiring EAs that have grit that are high performers, right? So, okay, great. You're doing a great job on your end, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they mesh with the culture of, uh, and let's be honest, when we're talking about the culture of a startup, it's the culture of the founder that they're really talking to. So you're matchmaking almost. Is that yes. is that how you think? I mean, how do you think about it? How do you make sure that that match is as, as successful as possible, right? It's not always going to succeed. thousand percent. Yeah, a thousand percent we're matchmakers. We joke about it all the time that we need a Netflix reality show of what we're doing in the background over here. <laughs> but um, no, it's, uh, it's again like tr- the EA relationship to the founder or CEO. It can be a 3,000 person organization or a three person organization. That EA and HR relationship, professional relationship is probably the biggest relationship and the most important relationship within an organization. There has to be so much trust. And if personalities don't match, then you're not going to have that trust be able to form. And we see that a lot. We can do as many tests, as many interviews, as many, you know, meet and greets as we possibly can. But until that EA gets in and working with the systems, Mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily know. So we have trial periods that we offer so people can one the EA can say I don't want to work with this person or the founder slash CEO can say this is not a great fit I also think as leaders we sometimes have this you know idea this idealistic idea of what our organization is yeah so we will communicate that to whoever we're trying to hire um you know or whatever kind of part-time fractional person we want to bring in on our team so i can say you know our culture is amazing we do these things and this but then the ea gets into the organization and they're like that is not the case at all or we talk to different people within the leadership team and we realize that there are definitely conflicting views of what is going on in the organization. So we try to talk to as many people as possible before kind of making that match to try and get a really good overarching idea of what's going on within the organization. But sometimes we don't get it right and we'll have to change to another EA. Have you ever um, turned down? Oh, I can't uh, hear you. Have you ever turned down? Uh Uh-oh, pause, hold please. All right, back to our regular scheduled program. We just had a little uh, technical glitch, audio glitch, but we are back. 
the question was, have you ever not uh, uh, ever refused to work with a particular founder or a particular a founder client because uh, a potential client because whatever wasn't a culture fit? Is that is that a possibility? Definitely. It happens to us almost monthly. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in, um, sure, I want to be able to help as many people as possible, but I can't help the people that aren't wanting the help. And we can tell very early on that if you don't want the help, if you don't, if you aren't open to what we are putting out there, then we're not going to be able to help you at all. We've tried many, many, many times, but it doesn't work. You can't get over that kind of resistance. What now, about, there are people who yeah. um, say, you know, I don't want the help um, in these areas, but I'm open to maybe a little help in whatever. And that will give us a little glimmer that we can kind of get in and start helping. But, but aren't they reaching? I mean, isn't that why they're reaching out to you? Because they want help? I mean, what, how can they be like, Hey, I want some help. And then, and then you're like, you don't want help. Like, are they just looking for someone to abuse? I don't understand. (laughs) They think they want help until you start getting into their systems and they don't want to give it up. So they don't. Uh, It's about control. Totally about control. Yeah. 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 So, and then a lot of times too, people, um, you know, we've worked, people always say that it happens with like first time founders, for instance. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. First time founders know that they are a roadblock to a lot of these big problems. Yeah. They don't necessarily know where to start, but they're open to getting help. Whereas some people think that they're open to getting help and then you get in there and there is no helping them at all. Mm, all right. That's, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, what let's go from uh, the uh, not a good client fit to a good client fit. What have you learned that um, from these startups, right? If your focus is in startups culture, like what are they doing? What have you learned, heard from your EAs work directly that, is a huge, like really helps culture wise when you're talking about a startup. Is there anything that you're like, I've seen this multiple times, or this person had a really good, like there was a realization or something like that culture wise? Yeah. The biggest realization is that culture isn't a fit all for everyone. So I know that, you know, back in pre-pandemic, a lot of the tech startups thought that everyone would want to go into the office and play ping pong and pool tables and have the big slides like in the Google offices. Yeah. Yep. It actually created kind of like a bro culture almost. A lot yep. of women didn't necessarily want to do that. A lot of women in the workforce um, are the ones who are responsible for the families at home. They didn't want to stay for happy hours I think a lot of people don't realize too that in cultures, if you're bringing in a lot of different cultures to your organization, 
lot of cultures don't drink. They don't want to see this excessive booze flying around or anything like that. I know I forgot about that coming from the rock and roll industry. I thought that I could solve every problem by sending people free alcohol, you know, champagne for celebrations. That doesn't work for everyone. People are, people are human. <laughs> every human is very different and brings so many different things to the table. And as soon as any leader, big or small, realizes that, that's when you're going to start creating really great culture within mm. your organization. So inclusive. So starting from the beginning, understanding that your what you find to be the, the, the great bonding experience may not be what other people have. I mean, you talked about extroverts, introverts when you're talking about your nonprofit, and that's absolutely something I was just talking with a client of mine. Um, a lot of not a lot of introverts are working, you know, work within this particular industry. And so you have to be aware of and understand what are the particular needs and create my in my in my observation, uh, my experience, there's no one solution to creating this incredible culture, the building those relationships. So you got to create a diversity of, opportunities some people may want to go out but it's not to your back to your earlier point you can't require it is that have you observed i mean is that a, is that a, is that a a fair uh observation or so, a solution or way to get around this absolutely i think when creating culture again back what i've said a million times uh in this interview is it can't be forced and it can't come from this idea from this from the leader that mm -hmm. you know hey i like going out so everyone in the in the organization will like going out it has to be incredibly inclusive and you have to really think about everybody on your team and what they bring to the table for sure um, and I also think that culture is fluid as well. So, you know, what works right now, what we're talking about right now is probably not going to work in six to 12 months. You know, the organize, the world is changing. Organizations are changing. The way people are think are changing or want out of life are changing. So if you say this is the culture and this is how we're going to stick to it, you're not going to be doing well in six to 12 months. You have to keep pivoting. You have to keep experimenting. You have to keep changing. The evolution. And it's actually interesting. When I first started, um, again, my business, I Googled. And back in 2007, when I first started my first business, you know, Google wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. And I Googled how to start or how to run a successful business. I didn't know anything. And of course, it told me, you know, to hustle and to make sales <laughs> or whatever it is. But it's interesting because Google will probably tell you the same thing now. And everything we're talking about, you can Google. Like we're not reinventing the wheel here, but I think consistency is good. So, you know, try something over a period, like don't try it for three days and go, oh, well that didn't work for our culture. Like put effort into it, put time into it, put money into it if you need to, put, you know, resources into it um, and like give it time to brew. If it's not working, then be flexible and be able to change um, and listen. As I said, we have a company um, that's created around feedback. So listen to everyone on your team, what's working, what's not, ask those specific questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's wrap it up with, with one more, uh, one more question. 
Um, I'm going to try to sum, summarize our, our experience with this one question, our conversation. You've talked to, you talk to a lot of people. Your job is matchmaking. You try to evaluate people. You try to evaluate clients. If I forced you to, to answer, what is the one question that you learn the most about someone from, what might it be? That is a difficult question. Uh, spot. So I'm a massive, when I meet anyone in person, uh, like for the first time, I always ask them what their goal is for the next quarter. I'm a massive believer in goals and how you think about goals and how you set goals Mm. um, are how you um, kind of generate your kind of life and operate throughout your life. So I can give my goal immediately. Other people may have to think about it. And the people who have to think about it, you know, maybe they're not business focused for us. Maybe they're not the people that we want to work with because Mm. they're as focused as we wanted them to be. So um, I'm also fascinated in how, what people want as their goals. So I'll talk about in the next, what do you, what do you want to achieve in the next three months? So right now um, I always have a business goal and a personal goal. So give us uh, an example. Yes. Perfect. (laughs) As everyone needs, right? So um, in my business goal, um, my big uh, kind of moment is I've been able to be um, very lucky to do many speeches around the world, um, television, podcast, all of that. Um, But I want to be more intentionally focused on um, bigger conferences. So my big goal um, is to land two big over 5,000 people conferences for speaking um, within the next quarter. Um, And personally, I am massively um, addicted to my health these days. I, uh, as an entrepreneur, it has always taken a back seat and I made that pivot in my head to uh, focus more on it. So, <laughs> all right, very good. Well, addicted to health doesn't sound too bad. That's uh, that's a good <laughs> goal. <laughs> uh, Tara, Tara Stubbins, um, serial entrepreneur. You can find out more about her work at TakeItEasyGroup.com. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your wins and your fails. You were very vulnerable with us. Uh, and I really uh, wish you all the best and success in a building an incredible company with some incredible culture to share and support the world with. Thanks so much. I had so much fun. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to greatmondays.com slash radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcasts app or podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to make sure to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. And I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations, or grab a copy of our book at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Thanks.